Hey fellow fraud fighters, a big welcome to the Seon Cat and Mouse Show, where we'll look to get into the mindset, thinking and learnings of the hardest working group of heroes we know, the fraud fighting professional. And on alternative shows, we'll dive into the opposite world of current or ex-fraudsters to get a real insight into what's driving them to do what they do. And ultimately, we'll be trying to best work out Who's the real cat and mouse here? Thanks everyone for tuning in to the Stay on Cat and Mouse podcast. Today we've uh, gone to very deep lengths to find what we get from the dark web is one of the most uh, knowledgeable people in this new domain about taking advantage of the open banking protocol. And this has been very, very convoluted to get to, but I want to say thank you. Uh, We'll call you Anonymous O uh, for this topic, Anonymous O. And thank you for taking a few minutes to jump on our show and to discuss the security risks around open banking. I'm happy to be a part of this podcast. Thanks for inviting me as well. So let's set the scene here. Um, So we managed to get a few intros, which eventually got into the conversation with yourself. We understand that in the last kind of 12 months or so, you've really focused on this new area around it taking advantage of the growth of the open banking protocol. Um, But let's take a step back. And would you be kind enough just to share with the audience what that kind of big changes with uh, open banking, what that's meant uh, in terms of the fintech kind of world? It means accessing your bank's historical data, as well as initiating payments via your bank. Basically, it's a way to replace and remove the credit card companies as middlemen from the process, and in this way, providing more seamless and faster payments or leveraging your bank data for different purposes. A key part of this is this new growth of these uh, TPPs, third-party payment providers. So a new classification of fintech, which have come in and they act as literally the push and pull mechanism of these payments. Maybe let's jump straight into this. So for open banking and fintech and security, um, there's a constant balance of convenience and security. Uh, can, can you maybe share, Anonymous, or how you look at uh, taking advantage of this uh, constant tension between the two? First of all, it doesn't prevent fraud to its full extent because there are still people who are unaware of phishing attacks, social engineering, or the fact that someone is calling them pretending to be someone who works for the bank. As long as people like that exist, we can do our job, and we can make money and make a living out of this. It's worth knowing that your bank login, your username and password are just as exposed as your credit card data. Perhaps it's not written on a card, and maybe it's not so easy to use as payment details work, but it's still available to be stolen. As I said before, phishing still happens. You can easily create a site where you can make people authorize themselves with your bank login details, like they're going to be in something or they're going to be able to purchase something at a very low price. Then you can send a phishing email claiming that one of the payments bounced and they have to log in. When you receive an email that states this payment has bounced, you have to log into your bank account to initiate the payment. As long as people fall for the scam, the bank details, different payment providers, and other facilitators all work in order to authorize you as their bank account holder and make some small charges on your account, which you have to verify. So this then verifies you as the ultimate owner of your bank account, but obviously these steps are quite smart and we always look to find some workaround. As an example, we're using different accounting software to use the stolen login to access your history because in many cases, it's not just as easy as stealing the username and password. This is because when you log in from a new device and browser, you're going to meet two-step authentication or a different kind of verification method. For example, when we add a bank account login to PayPal or a similar facilitator, they send two small payments, which then you have to enter the amounts of these payments to verify that you actually are the account holder. We then access your historical data and the amount of those payments so we can verify or make providers understand that we actually see the history in the accounts. 
from there, we're able to just take money from the balance of the bank account to different drop points or exchange it into crypto and buy out to any third party. Open banking is not as easy as you just steal someone's password and log in, then divide the money. It's much harder. Banks have gotten smarter in the last 15 years, so you have to use much more sophisticated techniques in order to obtain financial value from your operation. That's really clear and anonymous. So, uh, so if I was to summarize that, uh, you're talking about essentially there's still payment scams that are happening with social engineering, duping. That's one side of it. That'll always be the case. But then the other side is the account takeover risk. So it's where somehow they've managed to get all your credentials. And we were talking a little bit before the show also about you're showing me screen sharing active markets where you can quite easily, it seems, quite worryingly acquire many of these kind of challenger bank accounts. You know, so, so we, we think they're like even more up to date and secure. But in fact, many of those accounts are being resold. Can you elaborate on that as well? Sure. In terms of banking fraud, I think payment fraud is the same thing because what you essentially do is you take someone else's account and then use it yourself. You're going to commit fraud in terms of unauthorized payments from the account holder's perspective. But in the end, since you're going to just use that account anyway, you're going to take away the account. But as you just said, when you're looking at this problem from another perspective and talking about onboarding fraud, that's another thing. What you see is usually the different bank accounts that are being sold on clear and darknet marketplaces are mostly created accounts for using them as drop or money mule which means that these accounts are created with someone else's identity. Let's say someone has some identities, an ID scan, or an account after the KYC process is done. They're being resold, and then you get the full details of that account, which you can use to open other bank accounts. If limited, you can just apply those accounts, and you can reopen the account, and they don't have any balance. So the point here is that those accounts have a balance. Limited accounts are used because they have a unique fresh ID and or different routing and sort code of which can be transferred. I actually get these accounts for a fresh new client, which you can use to add to crypto exchange or be a part of something such as a romance scam. If you have a bank account that comes from the same country as the person you're impersonating, then it gives much more confidence to those unaware and unfortunately, potential victims of your fraud operation. It's actually quite rare to buy real fully hacked bank accounts. I haven't really come across those because then if someone has access to those kinds of accounts, then they're probably not going to resell it, but they're going to just cash out the money in different ways themselves. If you have access to a bank account, cashing out is really easy. You just have to be aware of the different facts. Don't try to take all the money out in 24 hours. Try to be smart. Don't try to shoot for big targets. Try to stay under the radar and aim to make some small payments or subscribe to a service that charges you at the end of the month for a specific amount replicating a legitimate person's actions. I noticed that with the Neo banks, you can have some kind of notification or email, so you're going to face different steps during the process, but it's not impossible. There are different techniques when people actually try social engineering scams and when they're willing to give up the details. Let's say you call your victim as a representative of the bank and you explain the situation that we have to make sure that your card is not being used and it needs to be authorized because we have stopped some payments. It's a modification step for us now, and you just have to dictate the code, and if your victim hasn't come across any type and any similar scam before, they're most likely willing to give you the password, which then you can use to enter their account and wire the money. Most banks ask for another authorization, so if you're smart, you can work with multiple things, such as credit card details. Once you can see the credit card details through the app, you can steal the different card numbers and use those card numbers to try to send payments online. Then, when you get a notification that someone tries to use a card, I authorize this payment. 
If you're in the account, then you can easily just click on the app on that code and that's it. If you're logged in, you're only going to get a notification if they're locked out, if that makes sense. From there, potentially, they get an email. They call the customer support and they might file a charge back, but most likely, if you have purchased some digital item and it's already shipped, you're gone. A different angle for open banking fraud is online loans. What all the lending companies tend to do nowadays is verify your balance and paycheck history via accessing your history on the account and seeing what your incoming and outgoing payments are, how often you get, and how much. But if you steal someone's identity and their bank login, it's an easy step to just steal the victim's username and password, then add it to one of these authorization methods. The person who is impersonating their identity is going to see the actual history, and then if they're not the ones who are requesting the loan, even smarter. If you ask for the loan and then use one of the procreated bank accounts to receive the funds because then the money will go, not to the real person, but someone completely different. So there are a number of ways around it. Actually, I think this whole banking ecosystem is there to replace the middleman, such as the acquiring banks, big credit card companies, Visa, MasterCard, etc., because they're losing market share. That's why they're actively trying to acquire companies in this payment chain. But still, many of the issuing banks haven't opened up any APIs for restricted access or payments. I think in the end, it will be very similar on how credit card companies are far-sighted now. But now we're seeing more and more fintech players offering different services, different options, and all these different players are offering more and more complex services and products. It also opens up channels for the fraudsters to actually leverage those exploits and loopholes because the more competitive the system is, the more chance there is to actually gain some illicit money. But this is still ongoing, and it will be very slow transition from turning from credit cards to completely just a banking-based system. You, you mentioned two very interesting points uh, to go back. One, you mentioned this, I, I think on the merchant side, a way of thinking about open banking being automatically more secure. But as you've pointed out, there's like a whole level of complexity that actually fraudsters are evolving around and getting around those particular technologies. So that's the first thing that was eye-opening to me. It's not necessarily more secure. It's a different way of doing it, and there's still ways around it. That's the first point. The second point, and it's a question to you, um, do you imagine in the mid to long term that open banking fraud could potentially be bigger than chargeback fraud for cards? Definitely. Open banking fraud will rise as more products and services are moving online, opening up more potential loopholes and exploiting opportunities for fraudsters. I think it'll be completely based on if we check the radio of payments of open banking-based payments against credit card payments. Fraud will be 99% credit card payments as of today, but maybe 10 years from now, maybe 80% of transactions will go to open banking. So then 80% of fraud will also happen over there. We got to scale up our game as to how we're going to look at all the new opportunities and as long as people are doing payments online, we're going to have our own ways and we're going to make ends meet one way or another. Thank you. Anonymous, so um, we always ask our guests, we're the Cat and Mouse podcast, and we're curious to hear your opinion. In the world where you're a professional fraudster versus, say, the professional fraud fighter on the other end, um, who do you think represents the cat and who do you think represents the mouse in that scenario? I believe that the fraudsters represent the mouse and the fraud fighters represent the cat. I think the mouse can always get away like Tom and Jerry, and yet we're always going to play with and antagonize the cat. We're going to do our thing and hide from the cat getting smarter and better, but at the same time, it's somewhat easier as more providers go online without the right prevention or just with the right mindset of how people can just scam them. As long as this is a situation, 
we're going to have our own ways and we're going to still find a way to be hidden from the cats and just stay under the radar of the cats. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's show. At Seon, our whole startup is 100% focused on helping you, the hardworking fraud manager, fight fraud with tools that are intuitive and fully complement your existing risk tech stack. Check out our website where you can get started on a free trial and be up and running in 30 seconds or less.